Spooky. Well, we're making a little Halloween special for you. Follow us to the woods if you want to get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. You will beware. You're in for pubic hair. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. I'm bald as an eagle. Dude, you are the fucking most disgusting piece of shit of all time. I don't think that's not shaved on me. Your face? My gooch in my face. In my head. You shave your asshole? No, no, no. I'm scared of that. <laughs> that's what keeps you from shaving it is fear? Yeah. You shave yourself with just like a razor? Sometimes. Just depends what kind of sexual mood I'm in. I come when I shave myself. Well, now I am legitimately terrified. <laughs> <laughs> You're fucking horrible. Don't you think I gave them to you that one time? A little monosyllable marijuana, you know, just to put them in the bag and hand them off. Oh, yeah, you <laughs> did give me a bag full of pews at the first live show. Yeah. That sucks, man. That's the type of liability you take being around you. You're like, I know what's going to be funny. You just bring it out of me. And nobody laughed because it's not funny. It's just gross. And also, like, to it was completely unrelated. Yeah. It's like, you're just like, oh, hold on. In the middle of this thing, I got something for you. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> you go, what the fuck is that? Those yeah. like pubes are like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't surprised at all. No, no, no. Well, anyway, I thought well, we could do something fun for the uh, old holiday. And I, I mean, I guess maybe, hopefully. Kind of pushing it on our producer, but maybe Brian could get it out before Halloween. I don't fucking know. I don't really care, but even if it's a day after, who gives a shit? Yeah. You're going to get spooked out. Because what we did, you know, neither of us can write. (laughs) Like, I mean, I guess I could with time, but I scoured the internet and I found three truly terrifying stories. And I figured I'd read them to you and just see how Buddy feels about them. Okay. (laughs) Uh, The first one I found... Well, not the first one I found, but the first one that I'm going to read, because I thought it would be the appropriate way to kick it off, is called How to Get Back to the Forest by an author named Sophia Samatar. And this is from March 2014. It's from Lightspeed Magazine, which I guess does like... This is a fucking writing magazine, so it's Mm. well-written shit. Short stories, not usually horror, but this is a uh, horror that was so good it made its way through. And uh, I guess I'll just start it off. Let me <clears throat> now sort of try to find the right voice. Yeah. Try to think of like, let's say me and you. Yeah. I was a young male wearing a fishnet suit mm-hmm. with like Robert Smith hair. Yeah. And you were a young, good looking lady at a goth bar. Mm hmm. And I was trying to impress you, and I'd be like, hello, if you come back to my studio apartment, I'll show you the urn that I jack off into. I'd probably go find a girl. Because you'd be a lesbian? Yeah. And that old stereotype. But we could hang out. Yeah, I'd pour candle wax on you or something, because isn't that something they like to do? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's like, get on your knees in this pentagram, and let me pour hot candle wax on you. I think that's actually Ricky Martin that likes that. Oh, okay. She's into superstition, black cat. Maybe that's the voice I'm looking for. No, Ricky crap. Martin, dude. She'll make you take your clothes off and go dancing in the rain. And then years later, it will come out that you're gay. <laughs> My new dude. What was the fucking chorus of that song? Oh, I don't know. 
Or was that the chorus? Yeah, I think that was, man. She's in the superstition. Yeah. Black men and big old balls. <laughs> I can't remember that. <laughs> big shit. ass balls, man. Mambo number five. That ain't him, but. That's the same thing, though. Yeah, it is popular. That kind of shit was going. How yeah. to Get Back to the Forest by Sophia Samatar is read by me, old gay KP. You'll have to puke it up, said C. You have to get down there and puke it up. I mean, down past where you can feel it, you know? She gestured earnestly at her chest. She had this old-fashioned cotton nightgown on. Lace collar, brilliant under bathroom lights. Above the collar, her skin looked gray. C had bones like a bird. She was so beautiful. She was completely beautiful and fucked. I mean, everybody at camp was sort of a mess. We were even supposed to be that way, at a difficult stage. But C took it to another level. Herding us into the bathroom at night and asking us to puke. It's right there, she said, tapping the nightgown over her hollow chest, where you've got less nerves in your esophagus. It's like wired into the side, into the muscles. You have to puke really hard to get it. Did you ever get it out? She asked Max. She was sitting on one of the sinks. She'd believe anything. C nodded, solemn as a counselor. Two years ago, they caught me and gave me a new one. But it was beautiful while it was gone. I'm telling you, it was the best. Like how? I said. C stretched out her arms. Like bliss. Like everything, everything all at once. You're raw. Just a big raw nerve. That doesn't sound so great, said L. I probably should have done like effeminate voices, but I don't have a real high pitch one, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, said C. Not annoyed, but really agreeing. Turning things around. That was one of her talents. It sounds stupid, she nodded. But that's because it's something we can't imagine. We don't have the tools. Our bodies don't know how to calculate what we're missing. You can't know until you get there. And at the same time, it's where you came from. It's where you started. She raised her toothbrush. So who's with me? Definitely not me. God, see, you're such an idiot. Apparently, a girl named Puss had told her about the bug. And C being C was totally open to learning new things from a person who called herself Puss. Puss had puked out her own bug and was living on the streets. I guess she'd run away from camp, and I don't really know. She was six feet tall, C said, with long red hair. The hair was dyed, which was weird, because if you're living on the streets, do you care about stuff like that? This kind of thing can keep me awake at night. I lie in bed, or rather, I sit in the living room because Pete hates me tossing and turning, and I leave the room. I leave it dark and open all the curtains, and I watch the lights of the city, and I think about this girl, Puss, getting red hair dye at the grocery store and doing her hair in the bathroom at the train station. Did she put newspapers down? And what if somebody came in and saw her? Anyway, eventually C met Puss in the park, and Puss was clearly a down-and-out hooker, but she looked cool and she was friendly. The C that sat down beside her on the swings. You have to puke it up. We'd only been at camp for about six weeks. It seemed like a long time. 
long enough to know everybody. Everything felt stretched out at camp, the days and the nights, and yet in the end, it was over so fast, as soon as you could blink. Camp was on its own calendar, a special time of life. That was Jody's phrase. She was our favorite counselor. She was greasy and enthusiastic, with a skinny little ponytail, only a year or two older than the seniors. Camp is so special. The thing with Jody was she believed every word she said. It made it really hard to make fun of her. That night, the night in the bathroom, she was asleep down the hall underneath her mother figure, which was a little stuffed dog with Florida on its chest. Come on, said C, and struck her th- through th- and stuck her toothbrush down her throat, just like that. I think Max screamed. C didn't start puking right away. She had to give herself a few really good shoves with that toothbrush, while people said, Oh my god. Backed away and clutched one another and stared. Somebody said, Are you nuts? Somebody else said something else. I might have said something, I don't know. Everything was so white and bright in that moment. Mirrors and fluorescent lights and sea in that goddamn Victorian nightgown jabbing away with her toothbrush and sort of gagging. Every time I looked up, I could see all of us in the mirror. And then it came. A splatter of puke all over the sink. C leaned over and braced herself. Blam, L said. Oh my god, that is disgusting. C gasped. She was just getting started. L was next. All of a sudden, she spun around with her hands over her mouth and let go in the sink right next to C. Splat! I started laughing, but I already felt sort of dizzy and sick myself, and also scared, because I didn't want to throw up. C looked up from her own sink and nodded at L, encouraging her. She looked completely bizarre, her wide cheekbones, her big crown of natural hair, sort of a retro supermodel with a glistening mouth, her eyes full of excitement. I think she even said, good job, L." Then she went to it with a toothbrush again. We have to stop her, said Katie, taking charge. Max, go get Jody. But Max didn't make it. She jumped down from the third sink. But when she got halfway to the door, she turned around and ran back to the sink and puked. Meanwhile, Katie was dragging C away from the sink and trying to get the toothbrush, but also not wanting to touch it. She kept going, ew, 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 help me, you guys. And it was all so hilarious, I sank down on the floor, absolutely crying with laughter. Five or six other girls, too. We just sort of looked at each other and screamed. It was mayhem. Katie dragged C into one of the stalls. I don't know why. Then Katie started groaning and let go of C and staggering into the stall beside her and sploosh. There she went. Bugs. It's such a camp rumor. Camp is full of stories like that. People say the ice cream makes you sterile. The bathrooms are full of hidden cameras. There's fanged, flesh-eating kids in the lake. If you break into the office and call your parents, lots of kids break into the office. It's the most common cap offense. I never tried it because I'm not stupid. Of course you can't call your parents. How would you even get their number? And bugs? The idea of a bug planted under your skin to track you or feed you drugs? It's just another dumb story. Except it's not, because I saw one. 
The smell in the bathroom was terrible now. An animal smell. Hot. It thrashed around like it had thick fur. I knew I was going to be sick. I crawled to the closest place, the stall where Sea knelt, and grabbed the hold of the toilet seat. Sea moved aside for me. Would you believe she was still hanging on to her toothbrush? I think we both threw up a couple of times. Then she made this awful sound. Beyond anything, her whole body taut and straining, and something flew into the toilet with a splash. I looked at her, and there was blood all over her chin. I said, Jesus, see? I thought she was dying. She sat there coughing and shaking, her eyes full of tears and triumph. She was on top of the world. Look, she breathed. And I looked. And there in the bowl, half hidden by puke and blood, lay an object made of metal. It actually looked like a bug. Sharp, blood-smeared legs. Shit, I said. I flushed the toilet. Now you, said C, wiping her mouth on the back of her wrist. I can't. Tisha, come on. C, I couldn't. I really couldn't. I could be sick. In fact, I felt sicker than ever, but I couldn't do it that hard. I remember the look in your eyes. You were so disappointed. You leaned and spat some blood into the toilet. I whispered, don't tell anyone, not even the other girls. Why not? We should all know. Just trust me. I was already scared, so scared. I couldn't bear the idea of camp without you. We barely slept that night. We had to take showers and clean the bathroom. Max cried the whole time, but for at least part of the night, I was laughing. Me and Katie flinging disinfectant powder everywhere. Katie was cool, always in sweatpants, didn't give a shit about anything. You know your friend is a head case, right? She said. It was the first time anybody called C my friend. We got out the mop and lathered up the floor. Everyone slipped and swore at us coming out of the showers. C went skidding in by a towel. Wee! She shrieked. You cannot feel your bug. I've pressed so hard on my chest I would know. I could feel it, said C. After they put it back in, it wasn't exactly a physical thing. She couldn't trace the shape of the bug inside of her, but she could feel it working. Bug juice, she said, making a sour face. She could feel bug juice seeping into her body. Every time she wasn't going to be angry or afraid, there would be this warmth in her chest, a feeling of calm spreading deep inside of her. I only noticed it after I'd had the bug out for a couple of weeks. How did your parents know you needed a new one? I didn't need one. How did they know it was gone? Well, I kind of had this fit. I got mad at them and started throwing food. We were sitting on my bed, under my mother figure, a lamp with blue shade. The blue light brought out the stains on C's Victoria nightgown. We were both painting our toenails cherry pink, balancing the polish on my life skills textbook, taking turns with the brush. You should do it, C said. I feel better, so much better. I thought about how in a minute we'd have to study for our life skills quiz. I didn't think there was bug juice in my body. In fact, I couldn't feel anything. I'm so much better, C said. Her hand was shaking. Oh, C. The weird thing is I started writing this after Max came to visit me. And I thought I was going to write about Max. But then I started writing in your book. Why? 
This book you left me? Your mother figure? You practically threw it at me. Take it! That was the worst thing you could do. To take somebody else's parent figure. Especially the mom. Or maybe it was only us girls who cared so much about the moms. Maybe for the boys it was the dads. But anyway, taking one was the worst. You could basically expect the other kids to kill you. A kid got put in the hospital that way at a different camp. The one on the east side. But we all knew about it in our camp. They strung him up with the electric wires. Whenever we told the story, we ended up saying what we would have done to that kid. And it was always much worse. But you threw this book at me, see? And what could I do? Jody and Duncan were trying to grab your arms and the ambulance was waiting for you downstairs. I caught the book cum clumsily, crumpling it. I looked at it later and it was about half full of your writing. I think they're poems. Dank smells underground, want to get back. No pill for it. I need you. I don't know. Are they poems? If they are, I don't think they're very good. A nap could be a door, an abandoned car. Does that even mean anything? Eat my teeth. I know them all by heart. I picked up this book when Max left. I wrote, you have to puke it up. All of a sudden, I was writing about you, surprising myself. I just kept going. Remembering camp? The weird sort of human excitement there? The cafeteria louder than the sea? The shops? Remember the shops? Lulu's was the best. We'd save up our allowance and go there. Down in the basement, you could get stuff for cheap. You got your leather jacket there. I got those red shoes with the flowers on the toes. I love those so much. I wonder where they went. I wore them to every mixer. I was wearing them when I met Pete, probably with my white dress. Another Lulu's purchase that I don't have now. It was summer, and the, and the mixer had an island theme. The counselors had constructed this sort of deck overlooking the lake. God, they were so proud of it. They gave us green drinks with tiny umbrellas in them and played lazy, sighing music, and everyone danced. And Pete saw a shooting star. We were holding hands. You were gone forever, and I forgot you. I forgot you. Forgetting isn't so wrong. It's a life skill. I don't remember what my parents looked like. A parent figure cannot be a photograph. It has to be a more neutral object. It's supposed to stand in for someone, but not too much. When we got to camp, we were all supposed to bring our parent figures to dinner the first night. Everyone squeezed in at the cafeteria tables trying to find space beside their dinner trays for their figures. Those calendars and ketchup mitts and scarves. I felt so stupid because my mother figure was a lamp and there was no place to plug it in. My father figure is a plaque that says, always be yourself. Jody came by as the counselors were all going around meeting the parents and she said wow tisha that's a good one i don't even know if i picked it out we want you to have a fabulous time at camp jody cried she was standing at the front with the other counselors Paige and veronica and duncan who we'd later call hunky duncan and eric and carla and the others of course they'd chosen jody to speak jody was so perky 
She told us that we were beginning a special relationship with our parent figures. It was very important not to fixate. We shouldn't fixate on the parent figures, and we definitely shouldn't fixate on the counselors. My stupid lamp. It was so fucking blue. Why bring something blue? The most important people in your life are other campers, Jody blurbed. These are the people you'll know for the rest of your life. Now I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, Hi, neighbor. Hello, faggots. <laughs> nice to meet you, gay boy. <laughs> Hi, neighbor. And later in the forest, C sang to the sky, Fuck you, neighbor. Camp was special. We were told it was special. At camp, you connected with people and with nature. It's a retard camp. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. You blew the whole story, bud. <laughs> there was no personal tech. That freaked a lot of people out at first. We were told label later we'd all be able to get online again, but when we would be adults and our relationships would be in place, that we would have learned new life skills and we'd be ready. But now was special. Now was a time of friends and of the earth. C raised her hand. Mm, what about earthquakes? What? Said Veronica, who taught the natural world. Veronica was from an older group of counselors. She had gray hair and leathery skin from taking kids on nature hikes. And she was always stretching to show that you could be flexible when you were old. What about earthquakes? C asked. What about fires? Those are natural. What about hurricanes? Veronica smiled at us with her awesome white teeth. Because you could have awesome white teeth when you were old. It was a matter of taking care of yourself with the right life skills. Ha! Huh, what an interesting question, Celia. We were told that all of our questions were interesting. There's no such thing as a stupid question. The important thing was to participate. We were told to participate in classes and hikes and shopping sprees and mixers. In history, we learned that we were used to be prejudiced, but now there wasn't. God damn. Stinky burp. God, it smells like <laughs> dog shit, man. Like straight <laughs> up dog shit. Um, it felt like puke. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> Fucking my story up, brother. No, it's fine. <clears throat> it didn't matter where you came from or who you loved. Just join in. That's why even the queer girls had to go to the mixers. You couldn't take your girlfriend, but you had to go. Katie used to go in wearing a tie, and Elle would wear flowers. They rolled their eyes, but they went anyway and danced, and it was so fun. Camp was fun. C raised her hand. Why is it a compliment to sell somebody it doesn't matter who they are? We were told to find a hobby. There were a million choices and we tried them all. Sports and crafts and art and music. There was so much to do. Every day there was some kind of program and then there were chores. Then we had to study for class. No wonder we forgot stuff. And we were told that forgetting is natural. Forgetting helped us survive. Jody, Jody told us in life skills class with tears in her eyes. She cried as easily as Max. She was more like a kid's sister than a counselor. Everyone wanted Jody to be okay. You'll always be reminded, she said in her hoarse, heroic voice. 
you'll always have your parent figures, and it's okay to be sad, but remember, you have each other now, and it's the most special bond in the world. C raised her hand. What if we don't want us? C raised her hand, but of course she raised her hand. She was C. She was C. She'd always been C. You see what I mean? I mean, she was like that right from the day we arrived. She was brash, messy C, before the night in the bathroom, before she supposedly puked out her bug. I couldn't see any difference. I could not see any difference. So, of course, I had second thoughts. I wished so bad I hadn't flushed the toilet. What if there wasn't anything in it? What if somebody dropped a piece of jewelry in there? Some necklace or brooch and I thought it was a bug. That could have happened. Camp was so fun. Shaving my legs for the mixer, wearing red shoes. We were all so lucky. Camp was the best thing ever. Every child at camp. That was the government slogan. E-C-A-C. C used to make this gag face whenever she said it. E-C-A-C. Ick. Sick. She took me into the forest. It was a mixer. Everyone else was crowded around the picnic tables. The lake was flat and scummy and the sun was just going down. Clouds of biting insects golden in the haze. Come on, she said. Let's get out of here. We walked over the sodden sand into the weeds. A couple of the counselors watched us go. I saw Hunky Duncan look at us with his binoculars. But because we were just two girls, they didn't care. It only mattered if you left the mixture with the boy. Then you had to stop at the self-care stand for condoms and an injection. Because becoming a parent is a serious decision. Duncan lowered his binoculars, and we stepped across the rocks and into the trees. This is cool, C whispered. I didn't really think it was cool. It was weird and sticky in there, and sort of dark. The weeds kept tickling my legs, but I went farther because of C. It's hard to explain this thing she had. She was like an event just about to happen, and you didn't want to miss it. I didn't want to anyway. It was so dark we had to hold hands after a while. Ooh, some hot lesbian action. Yeah. C walked in front of me, pushing branches out of the way, making loud, crackling sounds, sometimes kicking to break through the bushes. Her laugh sounded close, like we were trapped in the basement at Lulu's. That's what it was like, like being trapped in this amazing place where everything was magically half price. I was so excited, then horrified, because suddenly I had to take a dump, and there's no way I could hold it in. Wait a second, I told C. Too embarrassed to even tell her to go away, I crouched down and went and wiped myself on the leaves. All right. I'm sure C knew what was up, but she took my hand again right after I was done. You see, C? She took... <laughs> <laughs> she went to CC's. That's probably what happened. Dude. You can't hold that shit, dude. I ate the shit. A little pizza buffet, and you're going to spray. She took my disgusting hand. Ugh. I felt like I wanted to die. And at the same time, I was floating. We kept going until we stumbled into a clearing in the woods. Stars above us in a perfect circle. Woohoo! See hollered. Fuck you, neighbor! She gave the stars the finger. The silhouette of her hand stood out against the bright. I gave the stars the finger too. 
I was the shitty, disgusting kid with a lamp and a plaque for parents. But I was there with C. And the time was exactly now. It was like there was a beautiful, starry place we'd never get into. Didn't deserve to get into. But at the same time, we were better than any brightness. Two sick girls underneath the stars. Fuck you, neighbor! It felt so great. If I could go anywhere, I'd want to go there. The counselors came for us after a while. A circle of them with big flashlights, talking in handsets. Jody told us they'd been looking everywhere for us. We were pretty worried about you girls. For the first time, I didn't feel sorry for her. I felt like I wanted to kick her in the shins. Shit, I forgot about that until right now. I forget so much. I'm like a sieve. Sometimes I tell Pete I think I'm going senile, like premature senile dementia. Last month, I suggested we go to Clearview for our next vacation, and he said, Tish, you hate Clearview, don't you remember? And that's true. I hated Clearview. The beach was okay, but at night there was nothing to do but drink. So we're going to go to the Palace Suites instead. At least you could gamble there. See, I wonder about you still so much. I wonder what happened to you and where you are. I wonder if you've ever tried to find me. It wouldn't be hard. If you link to the register, you'd know our graduated class ended up in food services. I'm in charge of inventory for a chain of grocery stores. Pete drives delivery. Katie stocks the shelves. The year before us, the graduates at our camp went into the army. The year after us, they also went into the army. The year after that, they went into communications technologies. The year after that, I stopped paying attention. I stopped wondering what life would have been like if I had graduated in a different year. We're okay, me and Pete. We make it work, you know? He's sad because I don't want to have kids, but he hasn't brought it up for a couple of years. We do the usual stuff, hobbies and vacations, work, Pete's in the gardening. Once a week we have dinner with some of the gang. We keep our parent figures on the hall table like everyone else. Sometimes I think about how if you'd graduated with us, you'd be doing some type of job in food services too. That's weird, right? But you didn't graduate with us. I guess you never graduated at all. I've looked for you on the buses and in the streets, wondering if I'd suddenly see you. God, I'd jump off the bus so quick. I wouldn't even wait for it to stop moving. I wouldn't care if I fell into the gutter. I remember your tense face, your nervous look when you found out that we were going to have a checkup. I can't have a checkup, you said. Why not, I asked. Because, you said. Because they'll see my bug is gone. And I just... I don't know. I felt sort of embarrassed for you. I'd convinced myself the whole bug thing was a mistake, a hallucination. I looked down at my book, and when I looked up, you were standing in the same place, with an alert look on your face as if you were listening. You looked at me and you said, I have to run. It was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard. The whole camp was monitored practically up to the moon. There was no way to get outside. But you tried. You left my room. You went straight out your window and broke your ankle. A week later, you were back. You were on crutches and you looked wrecked, destroyed. Somebody cut your hair, shaved it close to the scalp. Your eyes stood out, huge and shining. They put a new bug in me, you whispered. And I just knew. I knew what you were going to do. 
Max came to see me a few days ago, and I felt sick ever since. Max is the same, hunched and timid. It's Buddy. You'd know if you saw her. She sat in my living room, and I gave her coffee and lemon cookies, and she took one bite of a cookie and started crying. See, we miss you. We really do. Max told me she's pregnant. I said congratulations. I knew she and Evan had been warning kids for a while. She covered her eyes with her hands. She still bites her nails. One of them was bleeding, and she cried. Dude, it really is. Hunchback. Bites her nails. I thought it was a him. Nope. That's two different characters. This is a lady named Max, and it is a different character, but it's you. Okay. Okay. A lady with a hunchback Uh that bites her fingernails off. I don't bite them. I peel them like an orange. (laughs) That's truly horrifying. A blood orange. (laughs) (laughs) And then I throw them in the floorboard of your car. Damn, dude. And all that trash (laughs) hides the crime. All right, let me get back to this. (laughs) You were disgusting. Hey, Max, I said, it's okay. I figured she was extra emotional from hormones or whatever, or maybe she was tired. Maybe she was thinking what a short time she'd have with her kid. Now the kids start camp right at eight years old. It's okay, I told her. Even though I'd never have kids, I couldn't stand it. They say it's easier on the kids going to camp earlier. We, me, you, and Max, we were the tail end of Generation Teen. Max's kid will belong to Generation Eight. I supposed to be a happier generation, but I'm guessing it will be sort of like us. Like us. The kids of Generation 8 will be told they're sad, that they need their parents, and that's why they have parent figures. So that they can always be reminded of what they've lost. So that they can remember they need what they have now. I sat across the office table from Max. She was crying, and I wasn't hugging her because I don't really hug people anymore. Not even Pete, really. I'm sort of mean that way. It's just how I turned out. And Max said, Do you remember that night in the bathroom with C? Do I remember? Her eyes were all swollen. She hiccuped. I can't stop thinking about it, and I'm scared. She said she had to send a report to her doctor every day on her phone. How was she feeling? Had she vomited? Her morning sickness wasn't too bad, but she'd thrown up twice, and both times she had to go in for a checkup. So, I said, so? They always put you to sleep, you know? Yeah? I just said, yeah. Just sat there in front of her and said, yeah, like I was a rock. After a while, I could tell she was feeling uncertain, and then she felt stupid. She picked up her stuff and blew her nose and went home. She left the tissues on the table, One of them was spotted from blood from her bitten nail. I haven't really been sleeping since she left. I mean, I've always had trouble sleeping, but now it's a lot worse, especially since I started writing in your book. I just feel sick, see? I feel really sick. All those checkups, so regular, everyone gets them, but you're definitely supposed to go if you're feeling nauseous, if you vomited. It might be the super flu. The world is full of viruses. Good health is everybody's business. And yeah, they put you to sleep every time. Yeah, they put a bug in me, you said. Camp was so fun. Jody came to us, wringing her hands. 
C has been having some problems, and it's up to all of us to look after her girls. Campers stick together. But we didn't stick together, did we? I woke up, and you were shouting in the hall, and I ran out there, and you were hopping on your good foot, your toothbrush in one hand, your mother figure notebook in the other, and I knew exactly what they'd caught you doing. How did they catch you? Were there really cameras in the bathroom? Jody'd called Duncan, and that was how I knew how bad it was. Hunky Duncan in the girls' hallway just outside the bathroom wearing white shorts and a seriously pissed-off expression. He and Jody were grabbing you, and you were fighting them off. Tisha, called Jody. It's okay. C's just sick. She's going to the hospital. You threw the notebook. Take it, you snarled. Those were your last words. Your last words to me. I never saw you again, except in my dreams. Yeah, I see you in dreams. I see you in your white, lacy nightgown, C. I feel sick. At night, I feel so sick. I walk around in circles. There's waves of sickness and waves of something else. Something that calms me. Something that's trying to make the sickness go away. Up and down it goes. And I'm just in it. Just trying to stand it. And then I go to sleep again. And I dream you're right beside me. We're leaning over the toilet. And down at the very bottom, there's something like a clump of trees. And two tiny girls are standing there giving us the finger. It's not where I came from, but it's where I started. I think of how bright it was in the bathroom that night. How some kind of loss swept through us. Electric. And you started it. And you started it by yourself. And we were with you in that hilarious and total rage of loss. Let's lose it. Let's lose everything. Camp wasn't fun. Camp was a fucking factory. I go out to the factory on Fridays to check my list over coffee with L. The bus passes shattered buildings stick people rooting around in the garbage three of every five graduating classes join the army give me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change how did i even get here i asked my mom if she wasn't a fucking lamp see i feel sick i should just grab my keys get some money run to max's house we should both be sick and everyone should lose it together i shouldn't have told you not to tell the others we all should have gone together my fault I dream I find you and Puss in a bathroom in the train station. There's blood everywhere, and you laugh and tell me it's hair dye. See, it's so bright, it makes me sick. I have to go now. It's got to come out. Man. <laughs> More like a fucking scissor bonding story. Yeah, it's like 1984. Yeah, I get it, but for women. <laughs> no, that's pretty good, dude. That's a deep fucking story. Yeah. We're pretty close to that. How was reading that? Was that all right? I don't fucking read stories loud, loud. Yeah, I don't know, man. You dumb bitch. You're supposed to help. <laughs> I didn't even know what we were doing. <laughs> if me and you went to camp t- together, I'd fucking stab you because you suck. Okay. Then I would be willing to die. <laughs> Your friendship? <laughs> they get me out of the hell I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Ripping nails and making smells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ripped those old boys off like a grenade. Well, that one wasn't too spooky. I guess it's good to start light. I got two more for you. That's not going to be too long, is it? I don't think so. I don't know. This is Halloween. Suck my butt and dink. Open your mouth so I can pee. Your butt's where I poop. I make turd soup inside of me and you. 
Maybe there was like a fair game. You know how you get the darts, the balloons, but there was like <laughs> it was like the fucking water gun game, but it was your dick, and then there's like several butts you had to pee into, but every time you got it right in the butthole, it was like pating. You got the mic too close to your face, dude. Why are you talking like you're fucking Elvis holding that thing? Because I'm fucking Elvis. Eighteen and a life of bullshit. Eighteen and you fuck your bro. Eighteen when you realize you're gay. Cause your friend sucked you off though. How do you figure out you're 18 and gay? Why don't you just do it? Stop, dude. Stop doing that. Just what? let it be where it is. I you can't. Keep it, you keep I got a mic. Everything it, you can stop. You can stop it all, man. Elvis was a fucking king. I don't know what the problem is. It was one for the money, two for the show. Fuck my ass and blow out my hole. Hello. Don't you? Come on, my gay hairdo. <laughs> you can do anything that you want to do, but don't cover my hair and goo. Crap. <laughs> That's a hit, man. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. He already fucking wrote it, dude. Yeah. You ain't nothing but a hound dog sucking my dick all the time. <laughs> you can dog suck dicks? Hell yeah, dude. Like a gobble them. You take their teeth out? Like gum it? What other fucking songs do you have? Oh, who cares? I would, if you don't quit moving the mic around, dude, you don't I, have to put your mouth right on it. I'm not made one. It's because I don't have a beer in my hand. You should have got beers. No, I'm good. Get a lacrosse and hold that, dude. You know what I mean? I grab my balls. There's nothing better than a fucking sparkling soda water to make you feel like you got a beer. All right, dude. This one I'm pretty excited about. Uh, This is a short story by Neil Gaiman. Fucking Neil Gaiman's the coolest dude, man. Okay. You don't know who that is? Nope. (sighs) (laughs) Well... I mean, what, something that he wrote that you would love is the complete Norse mythology. Okay. But he's also like a real spooky goth dude. All right on. He rocks, man. Hell yeah. Big rocks. Uh, you know, that? have you ever read that graphic novel, Mouse? Nope. Yeah. All right. You're dumb as fuck. That makes sense. All right. Totally <laughs> graphic novels. What? Well, it's like a smart one. It's like about how Nazis are bad. So, yeah, it's not very good. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> What if our fucking spooky Halloween story was telling everybody that we were reincarnated Nazis? Yeah. I'm sure somebody will go along with that. Oh, dude, I would. that's something that we should look up on YouTube because I guarantee there's people that pretend that they're reincarnated Nazis. Oh, yeah. I told you before that Jackie's sister's ex-husband used to tell them that he was Hitler's great-great-grandson. Yeah. And I was like, dude, Hitler would never have somebody fat in his family. No. <laughs> it's like they're all vegetarian. It made him so shit. mad. It's yeah. like, dude, you know, the good part about that is, is there's nothing you can do about it. Much yeah. like Hitler versus the world. Was he Latin? Nope. No. Nope. Makes sense again. Yeah. Cornered. He's just a big fat fuck. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into this Neil Gaiman story. I tried to like read it in a voice and I instantly went back to myself. That's yeah, okay. It's we- tough. Some people like that. My voice? Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Sensual. Everyone to get some fucking rubbed up. Rub it up, dub. I can't wait till it comes out. <laughs> it's my old Mongo voice. Pop in my headphones. All right. Whack. So here is uh, Click Click. Sorry. Click Clack the Rattlebug. Short story by Neil Gaiman. Read by me because Buddy can't read. You want to do it? No, you go ahead. That's man. what I fucking thought. You pick them. <clears throat> Well, I asked you to pick scary stories, but you picked... No, you didn't. You picked crimes. Yeah, because we were a true crime podcast. Yeah, but... (laughs) 
<laughs> I really, I fucking do. <laughs> you, you haunt me. Nothing scarier than knowing you, dude. There's no other fucking horrible future that could ever happen than spending so much time around you. All right, here we go. Before you take me up to bed, will you tell me a story? Do you actually need me to take you up to bed? And I asked the boy. He thought for a moment. Then, with intense seriousness, yes, actually, I think you do. It's because of I finished my homework, and so it's my bedtime, and I'm a bit scared. Not very scared, just a bit. But it's a very big house, and lots of times the lights don't work, and it's sort of dark. I reached over and tousled his hair. I could understand that, I said. It is a very big old house. He nodded. We were in the kitchen, where it was light and warm. I put down my magazine on the kitchen table. What kind of story would you like me to tell you? Well, I'm the Joker, baby! (laughs) (laughs) Well, he said thoughtfully, I don't think it should be too scary, because then when I go to bed, I will just be thinking about monsters the whole time. But if it isn't just a little scary, then I won't be interested. And you make up scary stories, don't you? I know she says that's what you do. She exaggerates. I write stories, yes. Nothing that's been published yet, though. And I write lots of different kinds of stories. But you do write scary stories. Yes. The boy looked up at me from the shadows by the door where he was waiting. Do you know any stories about Click Clack the Rattlebag? I don't think so. Those are the best sorts of stories. Do they tell you them at your school? He shrugged. Sometimes. What's a Click Clack the Rattlebag story? He was a precocious child, was unimpressed by his sister's boyfriend's ignorance. You should see it on his face. Everybody knows them. I don't, I said, trying not to smile. He looked at me as if he was trying to decide whether or not I was pulling his leg. He said, I think maybe you should take me up to my bedroom, and then you can tell me a story before I go to sleep. But a very not scary story because I'll be up in my bedroom then, and it's actually a bit dark up there too. I said, shall I leave a note for your sister telling her where we are? You can, but you'll hear when they get back. The front door is very slammy. We walked out of the warm and cozy kitchen into the hallway of the big house, where it was chilly and droughty and dark. I flicked the light switch, but nothing happened. The bulb's gone, the boy said. That always happens. Our eyes adjusted to the shadows. The moon was almost full and blue-white moonlight shone in through the high windows on the staircase down into the hall. We'll be all right, I said. Yes, said the boy soberly. I'm very glad you're here. He seemed less precocious now. His hand found mine, and he held onto my fingers comfortably, trustingly, as if he'd known me all his life. I felt responsible and adult. I did not know if that feeling I had for his sister, who was my girlfriend, was love. Not yet. 
but I liked that the child treated me as one of the family. I felt like his big brother, and I stood taller. And if there was something unsettling about the empty house, I would not have admitted it for worlds. The stairs creaked beneath the threadbare stair carpet. Quick clacks, said the boy, are the best monsters ever. Are they from television? I don't think so. I don't think any people know where they come from. Mostly they come from the dark. It's a good place for a monster to come. Yes. We walked along the upper corridor in the shadows, walking from patch of moonlight to patch of moonlight. It really was a big house. I wished I had a flashlight. They come from the dark, said the boy, holding onto my hand. I think they're probably made of dark. And they come in when you don't pay attention. That's when they come in. And they take you back to their... Not Ness. What's a word that's like Ness but not? House? No, it's not a house. Lair? He was silent. Then... I think that's the word. Yes. Lair. He squeezed my hand. He stopped talking. Right. So they take the people who don't pay attention back to the lair. And what do they do then, your monsters? Do they suck all the blood out of you, like vampires? He snorted. (laughs) Vampires don't suck all the blood out of you. They just drink a little bit, just to keep them going. And, you know, flying around. Click clacks are much scarier than vampires. I'm not scared of vampires, I told him. Me neither. I'm not scared of vampires either. Do you want to know what click clacks do? They drink you, said the boy. Like a Coke? Coke is very bad for you, said the boy. If you put a tooth in Coke in the morning, it will be dissolved into nothing. That's how bad Coke is for you, and why you must always clean your teeth every night. I'd heard the Coke story as a boy, and had been told as an adult that it wasn't true, but was a certain lie which promoted dental hygiene, so it was a good lie, and I let it pass. Click clacks drink you, said the boy. First they bite you, then you go all ishy inside. Then your meat and all your brains and everything except your bones and your skin turns into a wet, milkshaky stuff, and then the click clack sucks it out through the holes where your eyes used to be. That's disgusting, I told him. Did you make it up? We'd reached the last flight of stairs, all the way into the big house. No. I can't believe you kids make up stuff like that. You didn't ask me about the rattle bag, he said. Right. What's the rattle bag? Well, he said. Sagely, soberly, a small voice from the darkness beside me. I'm the Joker, baby! (laughs) (laughs) Can't help it, dude. (laughs) Well. (laughs) Once you're just bones and skin, they hang you up on a hook and you rattle in the wind. So what do these click clacks look like? Even as I asked him, I wished I could take the question back and leave it unasked. I thought, huge spidery creatures, like the one in the shower that morning. (laughs) I'm afraid of spiders. I was relieved when the boys said, they look like what you aren't expecting, what you aren't paying attention to. We were climbing the wooden steps now. I held on to the railing on my left. 
held his hand with my right, and he walked beside me. It smelled like dust and old wood that high in the house. The boy's tread was certain, even as the moonlight was scarce. Do you know what story you're going to tell me to put me to bed? He asked. It doesn't actually have to be scary. Not really. Maybe you could tell me about this evening. Tell me what you did. That won't make much of a story for you. My girlfriend just moved into a new place on the edge of town. She inherited from an aunt or someone. It's very big and very old. I'm going to spend my first night with her tonight. So I've been waiting for an hour or so for her and her housemates to come back with the wine and the Indian takeaway. See, said the boy. There was that precocious amusement again. But all kids can be insufferable sometimes when they think they know something you don't. It's probably good for them. You know all that, but you don't think. You just let your brain fill in the gaps. He pushed open the door to the attic room. It was perfectly dark now, but the opening door disturbed the air, and I heard things rattle gently, like dry bones in thin bags. And the slight wind, click, clack, click, clack, like that. I would have pulled away then if I could, but small, firm fingers pulled me forward unrelentingly into the dark. Got his ass. Yeah, he drank his ass up. You weren't even paying attention, were you? Yeah, well. Oh, hell yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. That kid sucked you off. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be so weird, man. If he drank somebody to where your skin, but you just use their wiener as a straw. Suck the organs out. Man. But that's what you want, though, right? I get it. Every time you get sucked, you're like, man, suck it all out of me. <laughs> yeah, just to. Yeah. <laughs> that's not from the kid. You ever been sucked too hard? No. Yeah. No, See, exactly, no, man. No. That's what you're looking for. No, never been sucked too hard. You're trying to get sucked till all the pain's gone from your brain. Man, why you fat like I wonder if there's something that could suck your dick off your body. I bet there is. Yeah. Not a person though. Somebody sent me a video of somebody getting their nuts stomped on real hard, like repeatedly. Man. And it's this uh, always happens to you. That's a pretty bad time. Yeah. They blow up. No, you just love it, dude. They don't pop the grapes. No, man, because that's what I was expecting. I was like, well, these are going to... That's not too bad. (laughs) Dude, no. (laughs) I mean, dude... You're going to watch it here after a while. (laughs) No, I'm not. It's real bad, man. But if the grapes don't pop... Well, the grapes have got to pop. I mean, she's a stomping. That's what I'm saying. Do they pop? I mean, not out, but they got to be flat inside. It could be like Pringles. Once you pop, the fun don't stop. Yeah, man. I don't know, dude. They got to blow, though, right? Cause they pop, dude. I remember hearing about like skateboards that like yeah, you can like tear them, you know, shit like that. They can blow. (laughs) I mean, they do, but it comes out a hole. (laughs) (laughs) You skeets? No, man, I didn't get to the ski part, but I just didn't because I like busted from just getting stomped on. That's something people do, man. That's real. Yeah, and it's called smushing. (sighs) Sick. Well, man, we got one more. What do you think? You up for it? Let's go. I present to the Midnight Society of Gay Fest. <laughs> 18 and a life of fucking men. 18 and a life of sucking bros. Your crime's vagina and to it I say hell no. Damn. Uh, this story 
I don't know if I should give it away. I'll just do tell it to you, okay. and then I'll tell you where it came from. <clears throat> Damn, dude. I wish I was good at reading. I want to do a fucking voice. <clears throat> Let's see. A single glimpse was enough to do me. This is good. Yet all I did was tiptoe across the drifts of yellow fallen leaves towards the inviting glow of hospitable light and peek through the window of a house. My glimpse lasted no longer than a heartbeat. I saw her standing beside a roaring fireplace, her hair braided into golden plates, glimmering in the firelight, tumbling over the shoulders of her loose white nightshirt. It's like a Cradle of Phil song. Mm -hmm. I glimpsed her bare bottom, captivating, beautiful, pert pink globes, with a crook-handled cane wedged between her cheeks, <laughs> hitching up her nighty, exposing her to my prying eyes. It was only the merest fleeting glance. Then sudden movements drew my eye, a menacing black burr, an onrushing shadow. Startled, I recoiled from the window, acutely conscious I'd just seen something that I was not supposed to see. Instinctively, I turned and ran. That fateful day, I'd been walking home through the woods. Autumn's touch had ignited a silent forest fire. I wandered through an impression of burning trees, sizzling reds and blazing yellows of every hue dancing in swaying branches like boughs of the flame. Whilst all around, mist billowed and swirled in the wind like smoke, choking every winding path. In the nebulous of grey gloom, I must have wandered right past the landmark gnarly old oak tree, veering left rather than right, down a path I'd never explored before. This untrodden trail narrowed into an avenue of orange-leaved sycamores guiding me, almost funneling me. I smelled the presence of the house well before I saw it, a seductively sweet aroma resin-rich logs on a roaring fire, congenial and welcoming. A striking gothic house began to emerge incrementally from the mist, as if someone was describing it. First, its steeped pitched roof, clusters of stubby chimneys, then ornamental arches, archaic turrets, and dark bricked walls. Before I saw the planked veranda and glowing window that radiated an aura of golden light into the mist outside. Lest you think of me some kind of voyeur, I'm not normally in the habit of peering into strangers' windows, but here, that warm inviting glow enticed me closer. The golden cloud in the murky doom seduced me, as if I was the refracted gleam from a cachet of treasure. So I crept up to the window and I peeped inside. That's when I saw her. Just a glance. The merest glimpse. Stolen in the blink of an eye. Yet enough to sear the scene into my memory. A fireplace. A golden-haired maiden. A cane between her cheeks. So still. As if frozen in time. And someone else. A dark figure. Rushing forward. A chill ran through me, a sudden recognition of intrusion that I didn't belong here, 
Instinctively, I turned and ran, hurtling through the mist, leaves and twigs crunching on the foot, barreling down the narrow avenue of sycamores, until I almost collided with the gnarly old oak tree. I stared back into the haze, heart racing, half expecting a horrible shadow to rush at me from the mist. But nothing followed. With a sigh of relief, I turned right, walking quickly towards the sanctuary of home, looking over my shoulder with every step. That night, as I lay awake in bed, the stolen glimpse came to dominate my thoughts. It began as a curiosity. Who was she? I'd never seen her walking along the track that ran through the woods. Had they lived there long? How strange that I'd lived in this wood all this time and I'd never known there was a house down there. The wind rattled my windows, blowing in a drought that made my bedside candle flicker. I shivered and snuggled underneath my blankets and in my mind's eye, I recalled her nakedness. She had been a naughty girl, and she was about to be caned on her bare bottom, too. Mm. I began to wonder what misdemeanor could deserve such punishment. Had she neglected to do her chores? Perhaps she'd brought home a letter detailing her misbehavior at school. Or perhaps she'd been caught playing Show Me Yours in a forested den. My glimpse had been over in a heartbeat, that sudden pouncing movement in the corner of my eyes spooking me, forcing me to recoil from the window and flee in fear. Now, I bitterly regretted my lack of courage. I began to imagine what I might have seen if I had been a little braver. The figure in black could simply have been her downger aunt. Nothing sinister, perhaps just a widow dressed in her mourning color. She would have taken the cane from between her young charger's cheeks, telling her to grasp the mantelpiece and push her bottom out. Then I would have seen a glint as the varnished cane was raised into the light, then the soundless swish and a silent cry. And just beyond the window, I would stare, wrapped, eyes locked on her beautiful bottom, Pushed now, out expectedly again, newly adorned, with a thin pink line. Outside the wind howled, and a forceful gust whistling through the rafters extinguished my candles. It shames me to admit that as I lay there in the dark, my hand began to wander beneath my sheets, and my mind began to sour with darker thoughts. Oh... Jacket. <laughs> Man, I'm going sour. <laughs> Dude, I'm trying so hard. Hold on, hold on. Maybe someone wants to whack to this. Hold on. Uh, oh, somebody's going through. In my fantasy, I returned to the strange gothic house. In my mind's eye, the mist had lifted, and the woods glowed gold and scarlet in the bright autumn sunshine. I stepped onto the porch where a coarse straw-colored mat blade visitors welcome. Taking a deep breath, I pulled the bell cord, and a faint tinkle sounded from beyond. Tinkle? The door was pulled open by a woman in black who smiled as she saw me. She was of a similar age to my own mother. Her black hair neatly tied back, 
her black satin dress elegantly attractive rather than morosely somber. Good day, I imagined myself saying. I live just down the path in Bramble Cottage. Mm. The ensuing doorstep conversation was perfunctory. This was, after all, my fantasy. And the focus of my visit was waiting indoors, so the lady welcomed me enthusiastically, insisted on inviting me inside. I entered and followed the lady down the hall into the living room. My imagination furnished it sparsely, just a few armchairs, a low table, some bookcases, and some wall hangings. The focal point of the room was a vast granite fireplace, which occupied an entire wall. And beside the fireplace was the golden-haired girl, dressed in a bright white nighty, with a cane between her bottom cheeks. This is Freya, the lady said apologetically. I'm afraid Freya has been very naughty. In fact, I was about to spank her bottom when you called. Oh, where are my manners? Do sit down. Let me get you a nice, hot drink. <laughs> I imagined sitting down on one of the armchairs as my host hurried out of the room. I stared ahead at the crackling log fire before my eyes were inevitably drawn to the young woman's bare bottom. She wore a simple white nightgown whose hem had been hitched up above her waist by the thin cane between her buttocks. I ensured her hands were clasped in front of her, allowing my imagination to linger on this glorious sight while my hand worked diligently between my sheets. Going sour. By now, I was completely engrossed with my story. Oblivious to the gale gusting against my bedroom window, keen to advance events, I imagined the lady in black returned with a steaming mug of hot chocolate. Do forgive me, she told me, but it's time Freya was spanked. I hope watching this won't make you uncomfortable. It's just how we do things in this house. Come here, Freya. The golden girl turned towards me, showing me her face for the first time, as beautiful as I could possibly imagine. Her eyes were downcast as she shuffled slowly to the middle of the room, keeping the cane between her cheeks until the lady in black plucked it from her. Then, without being asked, Freya turned her back to me, spread her legs, and bent over. I could not have imagined a better view as the lady's cane swished and swicked across poor Freya's pretty little bottom. She took her caning with an almost angelic grace, never crying or making a scene, instead mixing her gaps with admissions of how naughty she'd been and how much she deserved a sore bottom. I was getting so close now, and somehow my imagine improvised a final devious twist. I imagined a clock chiming. Goodness me, is that the time? exclaimed the lady in black. Dinner will be burned. She hurried towards the fireplace, placing the cane on the mantelpiece before moving back to scruntice her young charge's rear. Then she looked across at me expectantly. I do hope you don't mind, but I don't think Freya is pink enough yet. Would you be so kind to spank her while I attend the oven? 
If you don't stop tapping your foot, I'm going to spank you. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'll take my pants all the way off, and you just watch my hard dick swing back and forth until cum comes out on your feet. Oh my, and I shall say, <laughs> if your cum comes out on my feet, I shall turn entirely sour. God. There's a story called Bone Sour. Damn <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, dude. Come on, I'm thirsty. Yeah, you are. You trick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for real, stop tapping your goddamn feet. <clears throat> All right, anyway, spanking ass. Let's keep going. <clears throat> I tried to imagine responding to her outrageous request with as much decorum as I could manage, nodding my head nobly as if to say why, of course, whereas in reality, I'm sure I would have just gawped back dumbly. And so... Freya obediently climbed over my lap, submissively placing one hand on the small of her back. I grasped her wrist, pinning her down, and began spanking her softly and slowly at first, whereupon the lady in black smiled contently and then left us alone. Harder, please, spank me harder, please, I've been a very naughty girl, Freya implored. Hmm. I quickened the force and tempo of my slaps until the girl's supplications were replaced by stifled cries. I spanked until her whole bottom was pink, until my hand began to hurt, and I spanked her until her legs began to flail and part. And under my covers, I came in throbbing gasps as I imagined the dew glistening on her slit. God. <laughs> Exhausted by the vividness of my fantasy, I fell asleep soon afterwards into a deep, disturbing sleep. I visited the strange house again in my dreams, but this time I was a spectator, no longer in control of my mysterious visions. For reasons unknown to me, my visit took place at night, yet I carried no lantern, relying on whatever moonlight had struggled through the stormy clouds to light my way. I felt my way tentatively through the smothering darkness, acutely aware of the blackness and the peril veering off the path. Soon, moonlight glinted off the frosty trunks of the avenue of sycamore trees, lined up like an eerie silver colandale. It was cold, but I did not feel the chill, only a compulsion to reach the house. I remember approaching the porch, but there was no door, no welcome mat, nor bell to ring. The house reflected no moonlight, which made it seem blacker than the darkness all around it. Unable to see, I began edging around the side of its walls, my crawling fingertips probing the clammy bricks for anything that might feel like an entrance. When I reached the corner of the wall, I saw a dim halo of brightness ahead. The glow seemed to come from the house, but it did not illuminate just a weak puddle of light seeping out of a fissure in a void. It felt like a lure, there to attract rather than lighten its surroundings. Nevertheless, it drew me forward. Now, I was standing in front of a familiar window. Inside, a prodigious pile of logs burned fiercely, but silently, within a vast granite fireplace, yet radiating a surprisingly feeble light. The golden-haired girl was there, too, this time facing me. She looked straight at me with wide, pleading eyes. Without her lips moving, I hear her voice in my mind, imploring, 
help me. It's then I became aware of a sinister presence in the room with her, a black cloaked figure without a face. Its weirdness confounded me. I tried to make sense of what I saw. As I struggled to name and comprehend it, this fiend, the specter, this witch, whatever it was, seemingly held the girl captive. Help me, her voice pleaded. Help me. And somehow, I was her only hope. Her pleas emboldened me. It was my duty to protect her. I felt valiant, as if I donned a glimmering suit of impervious mail. My heart swelled. I would challenge and banish this wicked witch, this creature, and rescue her from her wretched prison. Noiselessly, my hands hammered and shook the window frantically, attempting to find a way in. A roaring gust of wind rattled my bedroom window, startling me awake. I lay in the dark, panting, soaked in sweat. The details of my disconcerting dream ebbed away like water split on sand, until only the memory of my beautiful golden-haired girl remained. Before I drifted back to sleep, I resolved to revisit the strange house on my way home tomorrow afternoon. I would introduce myself. By happy coincidence, tomorrow was Halloween and there was a party at the Allen's farm. I could invite her. We would go together. Somehow, I just knew we would be firm friends. That afternoon, I hesitated by the gnarly old oak tree. I prevacerated around to returning the mysterious gothic house. Perhaps it was the embarrassment of my first furtive visit, or the unnerving, indescribable weirdness I'd felt upon waking last night, or perhaps more likely still, the dispiriting possibly that the young lady might decline my invitation. By now the sun was sinking low in the sky, painting the fluffy clouds gold and making the trees around me gleam. The beauty must have seduced me, inspired me, because I started walking, turning left, and strolling down the path where she lived. Today the mist was much thinner, just thin wisps th that drifted through the yellow and russet branches like arboreto spirits. So now as I approached, the whole house loomed above me in all its gothic imperiousness. Yesterday the mist had concealed its scale, now I could see it was much larger than I had thought. I walked through a wide clearing of dead, dry leaves, noticing how nothing grew any closer than the surrounding wood. It had no garden or lawns, no bushes, no walls, not even any hedges or ornamental trees. It was as if the house had just appeared. I was a stone's throw away from the house now and could see a glow radiating from a downstairs window. I ignored it. I intended to introduce myself politely this time, strolled up to the porch, mounting three small wooden steps to reach the door with a jaunty hop. The front door was archaic and unwelcoming, its huge black beams joined together with giant rusted studs. Above the lintel was an etched ebony plaque with a single word in cursive script. Jinnun Gebagap. I didn't recognize the language at the time. I thought it was the house's name. How I wish I'd known it was the house's curse. I puffed myself up, ready to introduce myself. 
lifted and dropped the rusty door knocker. A deep, dull boom resonated through my bones, like a boulder dropping from the sky. I waited at the porch apprehensively for someone to answer, expecting at any moment to hear a bolt clunk or hinges creak, but nothing. I glanced at the light coming from the window. It seemed impossible anyone could fail to hear such a deafening knock. Someone must be home. A dark thought seeped through my mind. What if, right now, the head of the house was busy? Busy administering a caning to the beautiful girl I'd glimpsed by the fireplace. At this very moment, she could be bending over, the cane tapping against her bare cheeks, being scolded for her naughtiness. It shames me to admit this now, but by yearning to supericiously witness the gratuitous spectacle overwhelmed my better judgment. So I stepped down for the porch and walked to the glowing window. I rose on my tiptoes and peered inside. But this time my prying eyes were foiled. The window had missed it over, denying me a view of what lay beyond. Emboldened by my obsession, I crept around the side of the house, looking for another window. That's when I saw the back door. Yesterday, I wouldn't dreamed of trying the door of a stranger's home. But now, a strange compulsion had overtaken me, and I felt I'd do almost anything for another glimpse of her. I pressed down the door latch as subtly as I could, a faint click. It was unlocked. I nudged the heavy door open, praying that it would not betray me with a creak, creak, opening it just wide enough to squeeze through. Now I was in what seemed to be a small pantry, though its shelves were surprisingly barren, just a few small slacks and empty crates strewn casually on the floor. But my attention was immediately drawn to the orange flickering glow far beyond the door, firelight. I tiptoed to the door. It had no keyhole, only a round, tarnished brass knob, which meant if I wanted to know what lay beyond, I'd have to open it. Hardly daring to breathe, I twisted the doorknob slowly, pulling the door inward slightly, creating enough of a gap to peep through. And there she was, beside the fireplace, the cane between her bottom her nighty hitched just so. Everything exactly how I'd glimpsed yesterday. It was as if nothing had changed. It's funny how that didn't strike me as odd at the time. I looked around the room nervously for any sign of another occupant, but it seemed as if we were alone. Then, suddenly, her head began to turn towards me, perhaps alerted by the draught that I had introduced into the room. I had only an instant to decide what to do. I did not want her to think I was spying on her nakedness, even though I had been. So I stood tall and strolled confidently into the room, determined to present a good first impression. Her face blanched when she saw me, her eyes widening in shock. I held my palms up, as if to forestall any screaming, adding by way of explanation, I'm here to help. She opened her mouth slowly, as if remembering to speak. You, you shouldn't be here, she said at last. At the time, I thought she meant I shouldn't be intruding into her home. But in retrospect, 
Her observation was far more profound. Why? I asked dumbly, only realizing how idiotic it had sounded coming from an interloper after the words had left my lips. Her reply was disturbingly unexpected. I sneaked in here too once. I've never been able to leave. But I didn't understand. Then I am here to rescue you, I said nobly, hoping to transform in an instant from pathetic, sulking prowler into chivalrous hero. I felt I understood now. I was answering a calling to liberate this beautiful girl from her nefarious captor. I reached behind her, plucking the cane from beneath her cheeks. It was seductively warm. Just holding it made me feel strange as if I'd imbibed with a weird authoritative confidence, the power of mastery, the ability to bend the wills of others. For a moment, I was tempted to wield it, but ultimately set the rod down carefully on the mantelpiece with the reverence an arcane artifact deserved. I looked into her wide blue eyes and stretched out my hand, but she remained motionless. So I reached forward to grasp her palm, only to flinch as we touched. Not only was her friend, her skin, startlingly cold, but her hand was surprisingly light. It felt bizarrely insubstantial, like if I squeezed it, my own hand might pass through it. Something else was wrong. The room had darkened noticeably. The late afternoon sunlight that had been glimmering through the foggy window had vanished. I'd only been indoors for a few minutes, yet now it was completely dark outside. The oddly noiseless fire now providing the only source of light. Motion in the corner of the room caught my eye. An antique grandfather clock, its minute hand moving perceptibly, counting off minutes as if they were seconds. Time is wrong here she observed flatly, in a tone that made me shiver. It was clear that this was not a place to linger. Let's go, I urged, pulling her by the hand towards the door I'd entered. It only took a couple strides to cross the pantry outside the door. I pushed the latch. The door opened into utter blackness. There was no moonlight, no wind, no swaying trees. And there were no leaves on the ground, because there was no ground at all. I looked over the doorway threshold into a void and was struck dizzy by a terrifying vertigo. A primal fear overwhelmed me and I knew without knowing that I was standing at the edge of an abyss, a bottomless pit. I staggered backwards, nauseous, crumpling to my knees. My arms flailed frantically, reaching out to clutch the nearest column beam. I clung to it like someone drowning, as if my life depended on it so desperate for the reassurance of something solid. Where, where are we? I implored, quivering. We are nowhere, she answered dully. In Gununga Gap, the yawning void. I had no idea what she meant, but some primal part of me understood that anything that fell into that abyss would fall and fall forever. If I fell, I would die of thirst or fright after several terrifying days of tumbling through the unending darkness. But even then, my corpse would continue falling. Eons would pass, 
and long after my body had disintegrated into dust, I would still be falling, falling, falling. I crawled away from the open doorway and the incomprehensibly frightening inky blackness beyond, back towards the reassuring golden glow of the fireplace. I was still giddy on my feet when I noticed someone, something else in the room with me. It was all over so quickly. I only had time for a glimpse, just enough time to perceive an ominous black presence, the size of a person, but it looked like a hole in reality, as if a void had opened in the middle of the room. The edges of the hole flowed and blurred, giving it the appearance of a floating black gown. It had no limbs, no head, no face or teeth, just a floating black shape. It was utterly horrifying. It hurtled towards me. I didn't even have time to scream. I felt myself being enveloped by an impressive smothering pressure. Then everything went black. Sometime later, I was dimly aware of light again. I was standing by a fireplace. As my eyes adjusted to the light, I began to scrutinize the gray stone hearth in front of me. Massive, ancient granite blocks that looked like they'd been honed by giants. The fire itself was a towering pile of logs, which burned without roaring or crackling, emitting an unexpectedly feeble heat. I was freezing cold. I could feel some warmth where I was nearest to the fire, but the heat was weak like winter sunshine. As sensation slowly returned to my skin, I became aware I was only wearing a thin white nightshirt. There was also something between my buttocks. Something long, thin, and lukewarm. With horror, I realized it was a cane. I tried to reach behind me to throw this violation on the floor in disgust, but my hands remained clasped in front of me. Perhaps the cold had paralyzed me, petrifying me like a statue. All I could move were my eyes. But my field of vision was dominated by the blocks of the vast fireplace. My view limited to watching how the small imperfections in the stone cast tiny dancing shadows in the firelight. Occasionally, out of the corner of my eye, I see her. Just a glimpse, a white blur. But with the unmistakable bonnet of braided golden hair. Each time I strained my eyes to get a better look, only to experience excruciating pain as if I'd sprained my eyes trying to stare at the back of my own head. Am I cursed to be frozen here, tantalized and tormented, knowing my obsession is just barely beyond my sight? And so, I stand here and wait, watching the little shadows dance. I have had plenty of time to rue my impetuousness, to regret my full-hearted, hardy incursion into this infernal place, this wretched trap for the unvirtuous. Then, just when I think time itself has forgotten me, I hear the grandfather clock behind me chime, twelve, doleful claims. I have come to dread the chimes, because when the chimes sound, the gown appears. I call it the gown in an effort to conceal its true horror from my mind. A faceless, limbless shape as black as the void beyond. It moves through the room like a stain, 
a fissure in all I still perceive as real. When it appears, I can move again. I can look across the fireplace and see the golden-haired girl standing on the other side, her pretty blue eyes wide with fear. At times, I can also look around the room, but I do all I can to avoid it. At a glance, my prison appears to be an old-fashioned drawing room, picturesque and homely, filled with elegant furniture, brass fittings, bookcases, and ornaments. Yet if I let my eyes linger to the room's disgusting decrepitude is revealed. I witness the passing of a thousand years in a single glimpse. Hideous black spiders shroud the walls and webs, furnishing tarnish, rust, and rot, decaying before my eyes into a foul morass of mold, insects, and sawdust. No matter how many times I've seen it, the repugnant scene always forces me to recoil in disgust. So I stare straight ahead at the fireplace, its granite blocks steadfast and unchanging, waiting for my turn. You! I hear the voice in my head, not my ears. Sometimes it sounds like a loud, authoritative man, other times like a stern, domineering woman. Each time it makes me feel like a recalcitrant youth, deserving of discipline for all my past vices. I obey without question, shuffling into the middle of the room and bending over. I feel the cane being taken from my cheeks and being tapped against my rear. I look back through my legs to see the cane floating in the air, orchestrated by the limbless gown. Then the whacking starts. <clears throat> Each stroke is an excruciating fiery lash making me want to cry out in agony, but cruelly, when I attempt to yell in pain, I hear myself exclaiming encouragement instead, more, or harder, or again, please. My infernal disciplinarian is only too willing to oblige. Eventually, I am sent back to stand beside the fireplace in shame, my bottom streaked with burning, searing marks, but the pain soon fades, and I feel the heat of each fiery whack spread through my chilled body, warming me in the way weak firelight never does. Then it's her turn. As she bends over, our eyes meet. For just a glimpse, she gives me the same look every time. I wonder what she is trying to say. I'm sorry for luring you here. We'll get you out of this. Thanks for trying to rescue me? Or, you stupid fool, you've damned us both. The cane dances in the air behind her, swishing and whacking, making her back arch and her knees tremble. I see her delight in the warmth of her discipline. She prances, rising on her toes, stretching her calves, spreading her legs, extolling in each painful stroke as she enjoys the only sensation she can still feel. I had always wanted to see her being caned. Now I'm damned to watch every night for the rest of eternity. Time is indeed wrong here. I've been here so long, yet my appearance hasn't changed. My hair and fingernails do not grow. My skin is still unwrinkled and youthful. 
I sometimes feel my own pulse throb faintly in my throat, but I'm no longer certain if I'm dead or alive. We exist in a limbo of perpetual night. The only evidence of time, the grandfather clock's hands circling inexorably towards midnight, and the dull chimes that herald the appearance of our tormentor. Then, when all hope seems lost, daylight miraculously sleeps, sleeps through the window behind us, illuminating a square on the stones before our eyes. Only then can I hear the outside world again, the wind rustling nearby trees, the short, faint chirps of sparrows, and sometimes even the shouts of distant voices. I long to call out to them, to tell them to run as far away from this damnable house as they can. But I remain petrified, frozen, cruelly tantalized by hints of a freedom I could never reach. I've begun to notice the sunlight always has the same golden glow, as if we reappear in the world at the same time of the year, perhaps just before Halloween, when they say the barriers between realities are at their thinnest. Alas, all too soon, we vanish back into the eternal night of the endless void. Sometimes I swear I can hear distant cries. I wonder how many others have been enticed and entrapped here, held captive and tormented in the myriad of rooms in this infernal place. And so here I stand, frozen by the fireplace, trying to keep my heart from freezing, hoping against hope for salvation. Perhaps my pleas will echo in a stranger's dreams, a savior more virtuous than I, someone who will stumble across this eldritch place one more one Halloween, and who will think to free us from our curse rather than spy on us in our nakedness. Until then, I will continue to be punished in a faraway house, all alone in the dark. This was published at spankingtheater.com. <laughs> What's the name of the story? Uh... The name of the story is Glimpse, a dark gothic ghost story of erotic temptation and punishment Whew. by the Spanking Theater. It says a 20-minute read, but damn, dude, I'm slow. That shit was long as fuck, brother. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get hard at any point in that? No, but that Did you is get a- creeped at any point in that. Oh man, the thing is, when they like that spanking thing is real. Oh yeah, like, someone people, loved it, dude. No, people love to get fucking wrecked and walk around with fucking things on them and make some like the they'll like get hot thinking about the time they got their ass kicked so someone is right now just hard or wet like i wish i could be trapped in that infernal mansion oh man no that's a to real be thing. spanked for all eternity god yeah i'm sure some weird fucking universe it's just danny filth runs everything dude yeah that sounds like <laughs> some filth. i should spank me <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Oh, spank him <laughs> damn dude well Hope you fucking idiots are having a great Halloween. Yeah. Stick some candy in your asshole and uh, laffy taffy the shit out of someone's pussy. We'll see you back in the non-spirit world next week.